Alyssa Solomon tells us in her essay, Balancing Act, that a special alchemy turned Fiddler on the Roof into folklore and made the blockbuster 1964 Broadway musical a sacred repository of Jewish authenticity. The bottle dance is one of its strongest trace markers, according to Solomon. The dance, she says, was a late addition to the musical put into the show during the second week of out-of-town tryouts in Washington, D.C. in early September 1964, only a few weeks before the Broadway opening. Perhaps in adding the number, director-choreographer Jerome Robbins was responding to the only major review the show received in Detroit, where the local papers had been on strike at the time. The variety critic expressed surprise that the dancing was pedestrian and lacking in spirit and zest. But Robbins seems to have had the bottle dance in mind even before such prodding. Certainly he had known from early on that the wedding scene that ends the first act, culminating in a highly unconventional curtain closer, a pogrom, would provide one of the show's best opportunities for vibrant choreography, and he'd seen great possibilities in his mind's eye. In a single-spaced four-page letter to his collaborators, Jerry Bach Music, Sheldon Harnick Lyrics, and Joseph Stein Book, a couple months before rehearsals were to begin, Robbins offered only one purely enthusiastic, unqualified assertion. The wedding scene is going to be wonderful, I think. In the original Sholem Alechum stories on which the musical was based, the actual wedding between Mottl the tailor and Tevia's daughter Zedel is just a throwaway line. The next day we celebrated the engagement and soon after the wedding, but Robbins would turn it into an elaborate yet dignified production number. This hardly counts as an innovation if considered in the context of Jewish theater, Wedding scenes were staples on the Yiddish stage, especially in America, a means, among other things, for immigrant audiences to maintain, through a secular form, pleasurable ties to ritual practices they may have left behind. Though Robin's parents were immigrants, Yiddish was not their household language, and Robin's, nay Rabinowitz, did not grow up attending Yiddish plays. Indeed, in working notes on Fiddler, he repeatedly expressed contempt for Second Avenue sentimentality, insisting again and again to his fellow creators that they avoid nostalgia and cuteness in favor of the tenacity and toughness of Fiddler's characters. And so, Solomon contends, the second reason for Fiddler's tremendous resonance was the sensibility with which Robbins infused Fiddler's world, poise and pride, and even power. Here again, the bottle dance was key. Beginning at least six months before rehearsals for Fiddler were to start, Robbins conducted what he called field work. He visited Hasidic weddings and holiday festivities and brought other company members with him, guided by a scholar of Jewish dance named Devorah Lapson who also provided Robbins with copies of her books and pamphlets, such as Dances of the Jewish People and Folk Dances for Jewish Festivals. At one of these weddings at the then opulent Riverside Plaza Hotel on Manhattan's Upper West Side, 
Robbins watched a red-headed man perform a flash and dance. He wove through a partying crowd to entertain the bride and groom while balancing a bottle on his head. Robbins took that idea and elaborated it into his tremendous showstopper, expanding the single bottle dancer to a group of four and giving them an elegant and tension-packed series of syncopated moves, which then explode into an ecstatic frenzy. The number came as a surprise even to members of the Fiddler cast. It was not rehearsed in New York before the company hit the road for the Detroit tryouts. And apart from his assistant, Tommy Abbott, with whom Robbins worked on the steps in a hotel room late at night after rehearsals and performances, Robbins didn't tell anyone about it. In fact, some of the dancers in the chorus dropped their daily workout routine, figuring they weren't going to have to do anything taxing in the show. Then one day in Washington, during the second week of tryouts there, Robbins called the male dance corps to a rehearsal and to everyone's amazement taught them the bottle dance in a couple of hours. It went into the show that night and brought the house down forever after. As it happens, in only the second musical she'd ever choreographed, young Bernadine Borinsky created the bottle dance and all the other choreography for a production of Fiddler on the Roof at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse in its very first season. She joined the chorus, too, and was the actual Fiddler on the Roof. That's all while young Larry Voitko was playing the character of Perchik. Now, if we in any way were sentimental, we might believe that the show, Fiddler on the Roof, was itself a matchmaker. Bernadine and Larry eventually married, having their own wedding dance. Now, decades later, Bernadine and Larry are working on another production of Fiddler on the Roof, at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse. They're co-directing, while Bernadine is, again, the choreographer, Larry serving as music director as well, this time. And what makes our story about the theatrical telling of this story, Fiddler, special, is that it extends to two generations. Larry and Bernadine's son, Jonathan, has become a professional in the world of theater, and as we'll learn, he met his partner, Autumn Galka, another theater professional, while working on a production of Fiddler in the Wyoming Valley. Hoddle, oh Hoddle, have I made a match for you? He's handsome, he's young. Oh right, he's 62. Magic? No. And now all four are together at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse to bring us Fiddler on the Roof, February 9th, through the 25th weekends. 
Larry Wojtko returned to WVIA Radio with Bernadine Borinsky, Wojtko, and Jonathan Wojtko to talk about Fiddler on the Roof. This classic of American musical theater has many themes, and we first think of tradition because it's the opening number, and it's the prologue tradition. But sure, it's about tradition, but it's really more about the conflict, the ever-enduring conflict between tradition and change, which change is ever-present. So it's really that kind of how do you balance what you know and the tradition that you have and what you've grown up with, with change which imposes itself on you. And Tevya is that, he's, he's like the fulcrum in all of this, in the tradition and change in that, you see? So we, we have the traditions of the Jewish faith, we have the traditions of Anatevka, the village, and then we have the change, and the change is uh, personified by the character Perchik, who is a university student from Kiev, and Anatevka is a little village outside of Kiev, and there's been some trouble in Kiev. This takes place in 1905 in the Russian Revolutionary period of that time. And uh, in my way of thinking, there was some protests going on, and he hightailed it out of the city. And so now he finds himself in Anatevka. That's what his purpose is. Now, that's one theme. The other theme that I see is love. Love is throughout this entire play. We have the idea of traditional musical theater, romantic love. So we have the couples, we have Seidel and, and Model, we have Perchik and Hoddle, we have Hava and Fiedka, the young lovers. But there's also love of community that is uh, encapsulated by Anatevka and the village and how close each other are. Even though a lot of them clash with each other and they don't really quite get along, this one with that one, the Yenta and the Laser Wolf and what have you, they still love each other because they're connected. And so we have that and we have the love of God. Okay, Tevye has this special relationship with God. He speaks directly to God a number of times in there. So we have that love. And then we have the idea of this, this coming to a realization that you actually have love and you have experienced love, but you didn't realize it. And that is the Tevye Golda story that comes to a crux in the second act with, do you love me? And it's an arranged marriage in the in middle of the lyric of that song. Tevi says, but my father and my mother said, we learn to love each other. So I'm asking you, Golda, you know, do you love me? And so we have that whole theme on top of it. Plus it's steeped in the religion, the Jewish religion. And that is being portrayed a lot visually in the set. And actually we have included in the set some uh, Yiddish words. So people will see, they won't know what it means, but they'll get the idea. And then of course the costumes that Autumn, Autumn Galka, who is our, our technical director and son's uh, John's partner, and she has captured that in the visual of the costumes. Plus the costumes will then add to the narrative as well. And oh, the music, we're all humming it. Right. There are a lot of catchy tunes, but the more I've, I've delved in, I've known Fiddler on the Roof for over 40 years as a performer. We, we actually met, Bern and I met at the Music Box in 1981. Fiddler on the Roof was the fourth production of, of Music Box Dinner Playhouse. We were both in it. Bernadine choreographed that production. I played Perchik in that production. That's when we started dating. <laughs> okay, so it's been steeped in it for years. But then when you actually delve in it 
as a music director rather than a performer, just like studying an orchestral score or, you know, something else, things start coming out at you. And what struck me about this is that this is not a musical comedy. It is a play with music. And almost every song is dialogue set to music. Now, of course, we have some more of the catchy tunes, matchmaker, matchmaker, dum, bum, bum, bum. But then you get into something like the, the monologues that Tefya has that really are just just that, soliloquies that have musical underpinnings, or the Do You Love Me. There's a flexibility written right in the score to allow the performers to express themselves at that time. And so it, it really under, underpins this idea of it's a play. It's a play and almost like in opera where the music heightens the emotion. Okay, that happens in a lot of a lot of musical plays here and there within the actual property, but it's almost continuous in this score how that is so important and how that music plays out. And sometimes we even learn that the silences that they built in, that Bach and Harnick built into, and Bach the composer, are very important. Like things happen in the silence and have to be filled with the narrative. It's amazing. It's an amazing score. Now, we're in a community, on a Tevka, rural folk dance. Would that be the essence of the dance of that time and community? Right. I've kept looking at my actors and, and performers, and it's, it's always my goal as a choreographer to give the, the people in the show things that they can do and do well things that they can perform and feel, as I said, comfortable doing. And so th there is that basis. The pictures I paint, you know, are of steps and, and folk feeling, feet flexed and arms lifted up. And, and in the tradition, it's such a proud place for them to be. We use our skirts a little bit as they dance. And of course, you cannot forget the bottle dance, which is one of the iconic, iconic sections of the musical. And uh, we have three three young men that are dancing it beautifully and balancing those bottles on their head <laughs> throughout the entire sequence. So it's it's been a, a challenge. It's been fun, and to revisit this property from 42 years ago has been something. When I started and met Larry at the Music Box and our first collection of characters and friends and actors who were there, as they asked me to do this show, it was only the second musical that I had ever done in 1981. And so to come back to this after 40 years of working as a dancer and a teacher and a choreographer, it's been a, a very a very exciting and, and very fun thing for me to do. Bernie has done a lot of research into uh, Jewish wedding ritual. And so the dances that are going to be presented, her movements, are really based on that. Plus, I've, I've also you know studied the, the choreography that we've seen from various productions, from the Broadway production to other other productions from other community theaters. Mm -hmm. as well. You know, you, the internet is a wonderful place for us to do research as dancers. We get to see it. And so I've tried to combine my ideas with the traditional ideas, as well as using my actors as best I can to create a picture through choreography. Let's follow up with you, John, technical director. What does the technical director do in a production like this? Well, the tech director oversees all technical elements of the production, right, and kind of manages and uh, coordinates all of the departments together. So it's my job to make sure that all of the props are coming together, all the costumes work with one another, uh, all the lighting and sound elements all flow and 
work smoothly with all of the other departments and with the actors, of course. And everything goes off without a hitch. In addition to that, I also double as the master carpenter for the show. So I'm building the set and painting the set. And then I also have the dual role of master electrician as well, hanging all the lights, powering all of them and and doing some sound engineering as well. So the technical director definitely wears many hats, especially in a, you know, nonprofit community theater, just like the music box. The set, now you're building it, so you're Mm -hmm. making it real. What's the design? Are we levels? Are we changing? So we are using an adaptation from the original set designer, Michael Gallagher, has the original plans from his set design from, I believe, a 1994 version that the Music Box did. And we're using that set design, so I'm implementing that structure. So we have kind of this constructionist set featuring many levels Many, many levels and fencing pieces and things like that. It really is a unit set. It doesn't really move around. You don't have like a house that comes on or a tailor shop that comes on. Yeah, it's a very actor-driven set, I think. They establish the locations through their pieces and their movements. And with lighting, I'm also doubling as the lighting designer for the show. So I think that has to do with a lot of elements. And I've worked with building in texture and specific angles to describe the different locations that we're at. If we're at a, a train station or an interior or we're in one of the fantasy elements. I have some texture and things like that for when we're in a a dream sequence or when we're taking the aside during the wedding sequence, we have these, you know, nice warm looks that I'm establishing through lighting. Do you have a tonal palette color-wise? Do you work that way? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So again, with Michael's set, he has a color palette that he uses. And luckily we've been able to keep some of the pieces from the previous productions. So I've been able to color match a lot of the palette from that, a lot of pale blues and grays, kind of keeping it really subtle. And then I'm going to try to keep the same style with the lighting as well. The cart that we're using for Tevia, because he's a a dairy farmer and he needs a cart. Because the horse hurt its foot. So Tevia has to pull the cart along himself. The cart is the original cart that was constructed for that 1981 production. (laughs) They've kept it for so many years. It has become kind of its own personality here. (laughs) I had suggested that it get its own curtain call, but I was shot down (laughs) with that one. Uh, It's been borrowed so many different times across the greater Wilkes-Barre Scranton area. And it's seen so many productions. And it's always a joy to kind of highlight it on stage, that, that piece. Now, you have to have good singers all around, don't you, Larry? Yes. Uh, they don't have to necessarily be trained singers because if you if you get a voice that's too trained, it takes away from the authenticity of that. And of course, a very well-trained singer can adapt the color of his or her voice to do that. But it, it doesn't necessarily require that kind of a voice. And it's, it's more of having a, a real person who can carry a tune and sing. And it's more important for that performer to be able to express the the narrative of the song and the emotion of the song than just have a pretty voice singing the song. And and actually the range of the songs, very medium, it all takes that into account that it would be like the same range that you would use in folk songs that you would use in congregational singing and things of that sort. Nothing really, really high, nothing really, really low. And it was by design, I have to believe that, to have those elements in it. And of course, there's some just beautiful 
They're very simple harmonies, but they they really are very effective. The harmonies in Sabbath prayer, in sunrise, sunset, when they sing about their village at Atefka. It's a very, very simple harmony. And by being that spare, I think it adds a layer to the narrative. By that time, they know they have to leave Anatevka. Everybody remembers Anatevka, and it's like a minute and 20 seconds. That's it. And it states it, and it's spare, and it, it's just um, just beautifully written, and it gives the, the actors that ability to um, really communicate their emotional statement at that time. Anatevka. Anatevka, underfed, overworked Anatevka, where else could Sabbath be so sweet? Anatevka, Anatevka, intimate, obstinate Anatevka, where I know Soon I'll be a stranger in a strange new place Searching for an old familiar face From Anatevka I belong in Anatevka Tumble down work a day Anatevka You just mentioned they know by then they have to leave. What about experiencing this play with music in our time? You did it in 1981, and it's... 2024, the world is what it is. You mentioned the tension between tradition and change, and change is so pervasive Mm -hmm. now. I have to say, you may be talking about the world itself and how the world changed, but I think one reason that I am very sort of emotionally involved as we do this show together is because of family and the change that has come to me along the way. So I know the world is a wonderful big place, but I want to pull it back to us. And I think that we took on this project as a family. It expresses a family's story. And it seems to me just a full circle, which is one of the images we use a great deal in tradition with circle, you know, in the circle of the the town holding their hands together and making circles throughout our entire show. And whether I started in 1981 with this And now, 40 years later, the changes that have happened to me personally, which is a husband and two sons and a new granddaughter. And so as as I sit, you know, on this side of the lights, taking notes and watching the show, I am at a different point in my life where I appreciate so much more of the show than I really did when I was 22 and watching this show. And so if we're talking about a change is your original thought, the change to me is even within my own little network of family and friends and sons and daughters. And sometimes I look at the cast as they're singing just this very gentle song called Sabbath Prayer, or if they're singing Sunrise, Sunset, 
and I get tears in my eyes as I feel that emotion because of my life and the things I've gone through and we've gone through. And I sometimes say to them, say, it's good. I'm not crying because it's not good. I'm crying because my heart feels the sentiment that I'm seeing on the stage. So to me, I'm, I'm kind of in a smaller bubble as I look at what we're doing here at Music Box this time around. You know, in, in 1981, when I was in Ennis Perchick, a couple of things struck me about Fiddler, and we talked about the theme of love. Okay, so we have the young lovers. And when I was young, I was, I was looking at the play from that perspective of the Perchicottle, Seidel model, Hava Fiedka, and the young love, romantic love, and everything. Now, I relate more to Golda and Tevya, you know? <laughs> and I, I understand that relationship and the Do, Do, Do You Love Me song much more. So there's that journey just that life just presents to you. The other thing that was interesting to me, and I think this is why it might resonate with a lot of people, because it resonates around the world. We were watching a um, documentary. It was a Japanese, yes. yeah, a Japanese they, production. They had one in Spain, all countries. And the creative people, I think it was one of the performers in that particular Japanese version, said, I wonder how the Americans really take to this. Do they really? Res- because it's so Japanese and it's themes, you know, <laughs> which means it's universal. And so one of the things that resonated with me as a young person, and I grew up in Suarezville, native of northeastern Pennsylvania. All of my grandparents were born in Slovakia. They all emigrated at about the time that this story takes place in the early 20th century. And so that struck me. And just the way that the village was set up and how the villagers related to each other, how the characters related to each other, how the dad, how Tevye was, and the mom was, and the family. And it just reminded me of my youth. Like, I, I could resonate with that. And it, it just drew me in that way uh, as something that I could relate to. And, and when you find a property, whether it's a novel or a film or a play, that resonates, that has all of these levels and layers, you know that over time uh it's a classic so as you come in contact with it again and again you find something new beautifully said now john you have been in fiddler <laughs> this is actually fiddler production number five for me uh, i just keep coming back to it you know like kind of just jumping off of what my parents said i love the show and i do keep finding new things uh, about it every time i've done it i have played all the suitors, Perchik, Model, and Fietka. Uh, <laughs> Perchik, I, I, I related to him a lot as well. I like playing that. Some people call it my little Larry moment. I had played Perchik too. But the most recent time I did it was at Kiss Theater when I was working there as the production coordinator. And I was the technical director and the lighting designer for that. And that was also the first show that my partner Autumn and I worked on together. So just like my parents, Fiddler on the Roof was that first show for us as well. Mm-hmm. She was the costume designer and I was the technical director and lighting designer. So it it really does come back kind of full circle. And this time around, I'm just really seeing how many layers and how much depth is in the piece. And like you said, in this day and age, I think it's, it's eerie how resonant the show still is. But I think it's a testament to the themes that the writers created in the work that y- you could put it in any time you could keep viewing it and it's still prevalent to what's going on so in in getting ready for this unfortunately autumn couldn't be here the costume designer so we asked her about the costumes and and she sent us some notes and and as as i was saying earlier the costume design that autumn galka has created for this particular production you were talking earlier about the palettes that john uses in lighting and in the set design 
And she takes that into consideration. But more than that, it seems that she adds to the narrative. The costumes are using color to mimic the mood of the show. And so in the beginning, in Act One, things are much more light and lively. And um, she's using brighter colors, like the folk folk dance kind of colors with blues and reds and white blouses and things that are just very, very bright. But as we move into Act Two, after there was the event at the wedding where the Russians came in and uh, broke up the wedding and things were mm-hmm. broken and families were, you know, running back to their homes be in yeah, fear. Yeah, there's a depiction of a pogrom that ends Act One. That ends Act One. Then the reality of the world, <laughs> these people being evicted, you know, she has changed some of the costumes for some of the characters into a more subdued palette, darker palette. And, you know, that's why it's so great to have these two people, our two youngins here, Jonathan and Autumn. They are very professional in what they, in what they do. And their ideas have spurred ideas for us and ideas that we can use as we tell the story through our movements and blocking and choreography. So the team effort has been very inspiring for me as we go along the way. Um, By the way, for WVIA listeners, all right, there's something that (laughs) is of particular interest. The role of the constable represents the government and the oppression of the Russian government on the Jewish people. It's a very important role. It's not a big role, but it's really important. That role is being played by Chris Norton. I convinced him to come out and get back on stage, and he is doing a marvelous job because he has a certain way of carrying himself and a certain way of delivering those lines that underscores that aspect, you know, what, what the creators, you know, Stein and Bach and Harnick were looking for to get that. And your listener, viewer of WVIA, it's worth it coming to see Chris's <laughs> performance. It really is. Different side of Chris. Well, to quote another musical, who knows where or when? We open on Friday, February 9th. Uh, it runs Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays through February 25th. The Friday and Saturday performances are at 8. Sunday performances at 3. The dinner begins an hour and a half before each performance, though the yes. doors open to the theater two hours before. And tickets, you just go to musicbox.org and you can find the phone number if you want to use that, reserve your tickets. So we hope to have full houses each and every every performance. Yeah, with three weekends, we hope that we can get people coming in the door the first night. This story, I believe, will reach all ages. From little ones, there's things to see. You know, family-friendly show all the way through as old as you can get. Okay, my mom is just about to be 91 in a couple of months, and she's already got her ticket. <laughs> Bernadine Borinsky Voitko, Larry Voitko, Jonathan Voitko, sitting around the WVIA art scene table. Larry and Bernadine are co-directing. Bernadine is the choreographer. Larry serves as music director. And Jonathan is the technical director for Fiddler on the Roof to be presented by the Music Box Dinner Playhouse, 196 Hughes Street in Swoyersville in the Wyoming Valley, February 9th, 10th, 11th, 16th, 17th, and 18th, 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Performances are Friday and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sunday matinees at 3, and there is an option for dinner. And you can find out all the details that you need and also purchase your tickets, Music Box, 
musicbox.org, musicbox.org. Fiddler on the Roof at the Music Box Dinner Playhouse, 196 Hughes Street in Swoyersville, February 9th through the 25th, Fridays and Saturday nights at 8, Sunday matinees at 3, with a dinner option. For more information on the web, musicbox.org. <laughs>